Well, please join me in Matthew chapter 6 as we continue walking through our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to talk about rising above worry. Last time we saw how money and wealth must not be our passion, must not be our focus, must not be our master. And now we're going to talk about how money must not be our worry. Now, last time, if you were here, as we considered verses 19, 19 through 24, and we saw how we're not to store up treasures on earth, but rather store up treasures in heaven. There's a possibility that some of us might have felt really good about that message and thought, you know, I'm not like those rich people who store up all that stuff on earth. I am innocent of that. But maybe, maybe you're one who feels a lot of worry in your life because you haven't stored up a lot of treasure on this earth. And so here's Jesus going to speak to us about avoiding the ditches on either side as it comes to money. Don't be greedy on the one hand, but don't be one who worries on the other hand. Jesus is telling us we should be preoccupied with higher things. And so hear it with me now. Matthew chapter 6, let's pick up in verse 25 through 34. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single cubit or single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, that they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Notice with me, first of all, that Jesus commands us not to worry. Did you notice three times in this short passage, Jesus tells us not to worry. Verse 25 is the first one. Do not be worried about your life. Verse 31, do not worry then. Verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow. So what is this worry that you and I are told to avoid? One English definition of this word worry is this, to torment oneself or to suffer from disturbing thoughts, to fret or to torment with cares and anxieties. So Jesus, when he commands us not to worry, he's telling you, stop hurting yourself with worry. Why would you torment yourself like this? This is another command as all of God's commands. It's for our good. Now, the word history of our English word worry is interesting. There's an old English word, worgen, that eventually became our word worry. But that word worgen way back meant this, to strangle. And we say, well, the word's moved on from that. It doesn't mean strangle. But have you noticed when you're really worried about something, it almost feels like you're being strangled? Like you, you can't get a good breath. And in those times of intense anxiety, you're having to tell yourself, okay, slow down. Take a deep breath. It's going to be all right. You, you, you start having to coach yourself 
to breathe. So Jesus is telling you, don't worry. Be proactive in your life against worry. Don't settle for it in your life as if it's something normal. He understands the temptations we have to worry, but notice he does not excuse the act of worrying. Now let's ask the question, what worries us? Jesus says troubles worry us. We'd say problems worry us. And what are the types of problems that we worry about? Sometimes we worry about health and safety. Like what if I get sick? What if, what if I get cancer? Or right now, what if I get COVID? What, what's what's going to happen? How bad will it be? We could be worried about that. Or, or safety. When you hand the keys to your 16-year-old and they go out for that first drive by themselves. And uh, concern, yes. <laughs> but, but do we worry? Can we, can we rest and trust God as they're out on the road? So we worry about health and safety. Here's another problem we worry about. It's we worry about future problems. Much of what we worry about is not what's really happening. It's what could happen. And that worries us. We, we're, we have these future-oriented worries. We, we have a bunch of what-if questions. You ever have those? What if, what if this happens? What if, what if that happens? And if that happens, what if that happens? So what can happen is we can borrow problems from tomorrow when we worry. Notice Jesus calls that out in verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So worrying is then fretting. It's being fearful. It's lacking confidence in God when we worry. And so because that's true, then we understand that worry is sinful. In fact, what else would you call it? If Jesus tells us three times in this passage, do not worry. And if we turn around and disobey that, then this worrying then is sin. So understand worry is not just an emotion. Worry is not your personality. You can't say, well, I come from a long line of worriers. My mother was a worrier, and therefore I worry when things go wrong. No, Jesus takes that off of the table. Worry then is a sinful response to troubles or potential troubles, and it doesn't help us to do it. So we say, well, it comes naturally to me. Most of our sins come naturally to us. We've seen Jesus call it out in the Sermon on the Mount. Doesn't it come naturally? to you to strike back when you've been striked and yet Jesus said when somebody offends you you need to turn the other cheek it might come naturally to you to lust for others but he says no if you lust after somebody you've committed adultery in your heart don't do what comes naturally to you last time we saw where it might come naturally to us to make our security in the things that we accumulate for ourselves on earth and didn't Jesus say don't do that set your treasure in heaven so Jesus always calls us to live up over above what might come naturally to us, we're, we're walking a supernatural walk through the power of the Spirit. So worry is essentially a sin of unbelief. It's a lack of faith in God. In fact, Jesus makes it clear in verse 30. Notice how he calls out a lack of faith here. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, here it is, you of little faith? Worry is a lack of faith. One scholar said it this way, worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. So worry is our failure to trust God and his promises. Can you see what an insult that is? God's told you, I'll take care of you. I've got this. And when you go, I don't think you do. <laughs> I don't think you do. That is sinning. That's not believing in God. So worry is choosing fear over faith. So let's make an important distinction here. So caring is not the same as worrying. Having some concern about something is not necessarily 
worrying because concern can lead you to productive action instead of worry, which leads you to spin around and round and torment yourself. So let's think about this example. If you were to find some, some spot on your skin, some mole that wasn't there before, and it looks strange to you, it's not worry to say, you know what, that concerns me. I think I'm going to call my doctor and let him check that out. That's a wise thing to do. That's not the same as worrying. Or maybe you have a deadline coming up at school or a deadline coming up at work. It's not worrying to say, you know, I better kick it into gear here. If I wait till the last moment on this one, I think I'll be worried then. But knowing that's coming, I'm going to take some productive steps of action so, to handle this thing. So we should care, but we should not fret in fear. So now, how can we learn not to worry? Because most of us would acknowledge, but boy, it does come naturally to me. So how do we, how do we learn this? How do we overcome this? Well, Jesus teaches us to question and replace our worry. Jesus here in this text teaches us to question our worry and to replace the worry. And if you'll notice in this text, he gives us a series of questions to help us deal with this. When we're tempted to worry, Jesus would tell us to ask the right questions. Now, he points out to us the wrong questions in verses 25 and 31. Here are the wrong questions. What will we eat? What will we drink? And what will we wear for clothing? He says, those are the wrong questions. And Jesus addresses these with three right questions. And the first question is going to answer this question and give us this point. Consider the purpose of life. Consider the purpose of life. Look at verse 25. Here's the first question Jesus brings up. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus is calling to mind, hey, what is the purpose of life? So let me ask you the question Jesus asked his disciples. What's your answer to this? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What's your answer? You might say to him, Lord, what could be more important than food and clothing? I mean, that is essential. These are the essentials of life. In fact, Lord, let me add to that. I need shelter. I need transportation. I need education. I need you to help me out with my retirement coming up. Life is primarily about food and clothing. You might protest. And Jesus would say, wrong answer. The correct answer to the question is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. The, the correct answer is yes. Life is about something and someone far greater than even food and clothing. True, I need food and clothing, but that's not what life is primarily about. I have a need and a purpose far greater. So Jesus draws into your worry the idea of the very meaning of life. The very purpose of life he draws into focus here. So now be clear, God knows that you need these things. He says so. Your father knows that you need all these things. But he brings those needs into the proper perspective. So our focus in life is not to be on our physical bodies any more than, as we saw last week, our focus isn't to be on the wealth that we can accumulate for ourselves. Now this is all countercultural, isn't it? Because once again we see that we live in a culture that has very different ideas about what's important. Our culture says that you are defined by your body and by the lusts of your body. Whatever your body tells you, whatever your lusts are, that is you. That's your identity. That's what the culture tells us. Nothing more important than that in the eyes of the culture. Jesus says, no. No, your, your life is much more than food and the body more than clothing. But the culture even there. You, you are food and you are clothing. That's you. In fact, we even have a food network, right? We can be so fixated on food. We can watch about food all day, every day to focus on food. We can even become nutrition nuts in our culture. Nothing wrong with eating healthy, right? But we can get obsessed with that where our body becomes our God. I will only put into this body 
things from this part of the, of the store, and we can just really overdo this focus when millions around the world say, just give me some protein. <laughs> just give me some carbs. I just, I just need food today. We can be obsessed with this, well, I think, in a way that's outside of what is biblical. In clothing, it can become all about the store I shop from or all about style rather than I need some covering and I need warmth. So Jesus would tell us, hey, just reevaluate. These are real needs that you have. You need food. You need clothing. But, but consider these things in light of your ultimate purpose in life. The spiritual needs are far greater. You have a higher purpose. You have a greater master than this. So when we, we need to think about food and clothing as a means to an end not the point of life. So we can pray this way. God, fuel me with food and clothe me that I might fulfill your kingdom purposes on earth another day here. So Jesus says, you want to overcome worry, consider the purpose of your life. Next, he's going to say, consider the love of God. Consider the purpose of life, but consider the love of God. And here's the second question Jesus asks. It's verse 26. Are you not worth much more than they. That's the second question Jesus gives you to confront worry in your life. And that question comes in response to him telling us about how God clothes the grass and how God feeds the birds. And he's making the point that you're more important to God than grass or any plant or a bird or any animal here. Now, it's not a teaching to be lazy. You might say, well, all right, well, I'm just going to act like a bird, sit in my nest and wait for God to bring the food to me. But birds don't even do that. In fact, this week, uh, knowing this passage, and, and uh, it was in my mind, I walked past one of our front windows at our house, and I look out in the yard, and there are five ravens in our front yard. I thought, well, let me watch what they do. I can tell you, I did not see the ravens worrying. They weren't like flapping and feathers flying. They didn't have wild eyes as I watched. There were five of them. They just kept moving around the yard, and they were walking around. Occasionally, they would peck down into the dirt. They'd get something, and they'd walk around, and they'd do it until they, so they just kind of walked out of my yard. And so it reminded me, yeah, God's taking care of them. They're, they're moving about. They're looking for it. They're doing their part, but God is providing for them. But here's what the Lord is saying. You are worth so much more than any bird out there. Now, do you know that? Another thing our culture has been telling us is that you are just another animal. And that's just not true. You are created separately from all the other animals. You are created in the very image of God. And God cares for you far more than any plant, any bird, any animal. So evolution that we've been taught is not only not true, but it's bad for your mental and spiritual health. The clear point here of Jesus is that God cares for his whole creation. But how much more does he care for you if you are one of his children? And notice this, God's not unaware, unconcerned about your difficulties. Verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And so he's saying, I, I know about that. You're worth so much more to me than the others that I take care of. I, I love you. Now, God's proven that love at the cross. Remember Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So his love for us did not end at the cross. That wasn't just the ultimate expression of love. It wasn't the final expression of love. It is the ultimate, but he's continued to love us and he cares for you and he knows your needs. So Christian, know this, God loves you. You have no need in your life that God does not already know about. Your needs have not escaped his notice. You and your needs are on his mind and on his heart. The Father in heaven loves you. 
So think about this. No matter the what-if worry you have in your mind right now, the answer to that in your own head can still be this. So what if this happens? Here's your answer. Well, God loves me, and I know he'll take care of me. No, but, but wait a minute. Here's a big one. What if this happens? Same answer. God loves me, and he promises to take care of me. But this is a really big one. This was a scary one. What if God loves me, and he will take care of me? So Jesus calls to mind here our purpose in life. It's more than food and clothing. He calls us to consider the love of God. You are much more valuable than all others. But how about this one? He calls us to consider the futility of worry. And here's the question that brings that up. Verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Some translations have that word cubit there, or, or maybe a modern translation, who can add an inch to your height. But because of context here, we know that word really carries the idea of, of length of days. So who by worrying, can lengthen your life. And Jesus is just making the point that it's foolish to worry. What good does worrying do? So let's just test that a second. What if you had a terrible fear of lightning? Now, all of us should be concerned about lightning. That's the time to get off a golf course. If you're a golfer, it's time to get off that metal ladder. If you're painting, it's certainly don't walk around with a metal pole. I don't know why you would do it, but that would be crazy to do. So you see the lightning, what do you do? You move indoors, that's a wise thing to do. You have a right concern, you take a right wise action, you get indoors. Now, if you continue to worry once indoors, what good is that? Well, you might protest, well, lightning could strike the house. There's a what if, it could, highly unlikely, but it could. But even so, even though that is a real possibility, lightning could strike the house, what good does your worrying do? Does your worry ward off lightning? That'd be some impressive worry if it would work that way. It's just a waste of energy, it's a lack of faith. Or how about this, what if you have a grown-up fear? Well, I, I fear a bad economy. You know, what if this happens and then that happens and the dominoes start to fall, what if, what if that happens? Well, in light of that concern, you might take some action. Well, you know what, I probably need to do what I can to kind of reduce my debt. Or maybe I need to do something or maybe save a little bit more. There's some wise things to do in light of a possible trouble out there because we don't know what comes, right? That's reasonable. But what if you add to that worry? I'm just going to fret. I'm going to worry. I'm going to wring my hands about that. What good would that do? You can't add anything to your life of that. Only God can add to your life. In fact, we know that worry is so bad for us, it can actually shorten our lives. It's not only unproductive, it's harmful. Rick Warren said it well. He said, to worry about something you can change is foolish. And to worry about something you can't change is useless. So if you're concerned about something and there is a wise action you can take, then take that action. It would be unwise to fret when you could solve your problem. But if you're worrying about something that you can't change, how unreasonable is that? And so now the Lord then gives us a solution. And this is verse 33. Here's what we do. Instead of the worrying, he says, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He really is going back to verse 25 here. Your life is more than clothing and food. And it's certainly not laying up your treasures on earth. Here's what you're to be seeking. Here's where your focus is to be. What does he say? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So the worry-free life is not a life that's focused on self and selfish consumption. The worry-free life is a life of faith focused on a mission. That's what we see from the Lord. In fact, this entire sermon of Jesus is that we're walking through, we see him bringing up the kingdom. 
These are his kingdom values. In fact, remember, in the Lord's Prayer, we were told to seek his kingdom. We want his will to be on earth as it is in heaven. Remember in the Beatitudes, when we began this, he says that you're blessed if you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're seeking that first. We're to be functioning on the earth, expanding the kingdom by being salt and light on the earth. So your ultimate concern is not your body and not your wealth, but it's God and his kingdom and his righteousness. And notice now there's a promise attached to that. All these things will be added to you. That's a beautiful promise. But I want you to notice it is a conditional promise. He will provide for you, but there's a condition. God will provide for the one who's seeking first his kingdom. So let me ask you, are you seeking first your kingdom with no thought of God's? Then that beautiful promise does not apply. Instead, we're to walk by faith. We're to walk confident in God as we pursue the mission and purpose he has for us on the earth. Now, is it unkind of God to say, I'm making this promise to those who are seeking first my kingdom? Why wouldn't God want to just provide for everybody, even those who are rebels against him? Listen, even parents won't do that. I hope not. A good parent won't provide for a child who's launching out into craziness. What if, what if one of our children said, hey, dad, I, I want to move downtown and really get, in, get into the partying lifestyle. I want to get into drugs and alcohol and promiscuity, and I want you to foot the bill. What would a, what would a good father say? I can't do that for you. I love you. I'll be here for you, but I can't, I can't fund that lifestyle that's going to wreck you. I love you too much, then provide for you while you go wreck yourself. But what about, let's take it back a notch. What if, what if a child says, hey, dad, I want you to buy me a ticket so I can head down to Florida for spring break to go crazy with my friends. I love you too much to have any part of that. I won't, I won't fund that for you. And aren't we doing the same thing to God? I don't want to follow you, God, but would you, would you feed me? Would you, would you give me a big house? Would you give me everything I want, even though I'm, I'm living for my own kingdom? That's not the promise. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, these things that you need, they're going to be added to you. So are you seeking first his kingdom? Test your heart here. Are you seeking first his kingdom? Is it showing up in your use of your time? Is it showing up in your use of your resources? Do you have a kingdom passion? Like that's, that's why I know I exist for the kingdom of God. Is it showing up there? Is it your focus in your life? Notice again the order, his kingdom and then your needs. So in the moments that remain, how about this? Let's apply this to ourselves, some practical steps, how you and I can work to grow to overcome worry in our lives. Five actions we should take. First of all, memorize and meditate on scripture. If, you, if you're prone to worry, memorize and meditate on scriptures, particularly scriptures like this one. So here we are, we've started the process. We've been meditating on Matthew chapter 6, and we've been looking at Jesus' words on worry. These are great things to hide in your heart, to remind yourself, oh yeah, my life's more than this. Oh, he loves me. There's a kingdom I should be focused on. But you could also memorize and meditate on verses like this. This is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or one of my favorites, 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I don't know of a more beautiful verse in all the Bible. Casting all your anxiety on him 
because he cares for you. Oh, hide those words in your heart and preach those to yourself. Second thing, so memorize, meditate on scripture. Secondly, pray. Pray to God. Turn every worry into a prayer. You'll pray a lot. In fact, that's what the scripture tells us. Again, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So memorize, meditate on scripture, pray, and then walk in wisdom. If there's something wise God shows you to do in alignment with the scripture, do that. Do that wise thing. Fourth, trust in God, even for the humanly impossible. You say, I, I have big problems or the things that scare me are big, huge things I can't resolve. Again, your faith is not in you. Your faith is to be in God. Remember what he's done throughout the word? How about when the children of God were there at the Red Sea with a hostile army coming in behind them? What did God do? He parted the Red Sea and they went through on dry land. Our God can do the miraculous to provide for us. Or how about when they were in the wilderness and they were hungry and there was food nowhere to be found, what did God do for his children? Did he not bring bread from heaven every morning to feed his people? God is not limited by the ordinary. God can do the supernatural for you. Or how about when his children in the wilderness had no water to drink? Where did he give them water? From what source? Not where we would look. From a rock. And of course, we remind ourselves, our God can do anything. Our God is a God who raises the dead. So trust in him. And then finally this, sleep. Sleep. I don't mean all day. But when bedtime comes and you're tempted to worry, the greatest act of faith you can do, having prayed, is roll over and go to sleep. I've told you before that I do my most worrying. When it happens to me, it's usually between 2 and 4 a.m. If something wakes me up and if I'm facing some problem or some what if comes in my mind, I don't think well then. And I know that about myself. So I know no, don't make any decisions between 2 and 4 a.m. Just wait till the morning. I know that things look scarier and gloomier and hopeless in the middle of the night. Just wait till the morning. And so what I've learned to do is this, is, is to say to the Lord, Lord, I know you don't need my help. I, I, you've got this. You don't ever sleep. You're always on. You have the night shift. And, and my worry is not going to help. So my greatest act of faith right now is to leave it in your hands because I've cast all this care upon you because you care for me. I'm just going to leave it with you and go to sleep. And God has helped me to sleep at those times. What, what a great act of faith where you say, I, 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 I can't do it. But I know you can, and I'm going to sleep. And then the morning comes, and you know what? The problem doesn't normally seem as large as it was. Or maybe there's a wise step I can take to alleviate the problem, but certainly not to stew on it all night. So in the Spirit, walk by faith, sleep by faith, and don't worry. And all this is available to the child of God. So how about this as we close an invitation. Are you a child of God? Have you turned from trusting in yourself? Have you turned from a life of rebellion against God and you realize I, I need to come to Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins? And you know it's Jesus who can do it because Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life that you and I have not lived. Jesus died on the cross in payment for our sins. He was raised from the dead. It is very clear if you want salvation, you want forgiveness, you want to be a child of God, you must put your faith in Jesus not in yourselves. And I pray that you'll do that. And then you'll enjoy the peace of God, the provision of God as well. Pray with me.